moms and all ladies, we are grateful for the blessing that you are in our lives. This morning, we come to baptize two, um, two men. I just want to read this to you. Our statement of faith says that Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership. Baptism does not save. Instead, it is intended to be a public declaration of the salvation that has occurred in the life of a person. In other words, it is an outward declaration of an inner transformation. First this morning, we have Timmy Otty coming to be baptized. Timmy comes after having been part of our church through visiting and, and uh, many other ways for a number of years now, a couple years, um, and uh, just came to me a few weeks ago and said, you know what, uh, about 18 months or so ago, God did an amazing work in my life, and I need to be baptized. I need the world to know what God has done and what God's done, not only in his life and life of his family as he surrendered his life to Christ, and so today, I'm going to tell you, it is my joy and my privilege to baptize you as my brother in Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And second today, we have Billy Sparks. And Billy comes... Um, after having come to realize in just recent, uh, really, months that um, uh, he didn't know the Lord. And uh, um, he comes today to publicly profess all that God has done in his life and the life of his family as he surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is my privilege to baptize you as my brother in Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Congratulations. Church family, I can think of no better way for us to celebrate Mother's Day than to baptize two men who have told me that they have godly wives who prayed for them and loved them, and that they are here today in large part because of those women. Ladies, you changed the world, and we're grateful for you. If you would stand now and greet one another in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 31. If you have your Bibles, there are no evening worship services tonight. So spend time with your moms. There is Love, Serve, Give tonight, or this afternoon. So for those of you that are part of that, um, just keep that in mind. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 31. A couple of other announcements as you, as you finish turning. Senior adults have your picnic this week, so make sure you plan to be a part of that. Also, next Sunday is Senior Adult Sunday, so... Uh, our seniors are going to have a significant role to play in leading. I think we have an all-senior adult praise team, almost all. We're going to include Kevin in that, so he's kind of old. So almost a complete senior adult praise team. 
uh, that are, that's going to be leading us. That's, I'm excited about it. Uh, we're going to actually give Buster a microphone back. So I don't know if we're giving it or if he took it, but regardless, he's going to have a microphone on Sunday morning. So we're excited about that. And then Youth Sunday is on the back end of that. So a lot of uh, May is always filled with all these um, sort of themed and special Sundays. All right, hopefully you've made it there by now, so please stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Let me just warn you, this is not the Mother's Day sermon you were expecting. This is not the Mother's Day sermon that I set out to plan, but when we laid out all of our Scripture from beginning to end, this is where we landed. So we're going to trust that in the middle of this, God has a purpose. So don't turn me off when we read the text. Just be patient, okay? And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that through this passage of Scripture, we would be reminded of the almost infinite value of a church family, of the incredible blessing of a biological family. But Lord God, as much as anything else, we would be reminded of the urgency of the mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Who are our mothers? Sort of a risky title for a Mother's Day sermon. I'm a little more comfortable. Eleven years ago today was supposed to be my very first sermon. Eleven years ago today, Wyatt was born. So for those of you who were part of our church then, you know that Buster came in and and, um, pinch hit for me that day. That I was in Greenville welcoming the birth of our little baby boy who is now about this tall and is not a baby anymore. Uh, for those of you that don't know, if you ever want to figure out how long we've been in Camden, how long we've been at Malvern Hill, just look at Wyatt, and he is the exact anniversary date. So today is his 11th birthday, and today is the 11th year of when I was supposed to begin preaching right here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. 11 years ago today, I can assure you, I would not have planned to preach a sermon entitled, Who Are Our Mothers?, On that Sunday, instead, I had planned to preach a sermon that was something like, we love our moms, they're great, y'all don't fire me, please. (laughs) But today, as, as we, up there in the balcony, if you could turn the air on up here, that would be absolutely incredible. Thank you, sir, I appreciate that. As we consider what it is to be obedient to the Word of God, as we continue to work through books of the Bible and significant passages of Scripture, it's important for us to really jettison our comfortable ideas of what God would have us to do and to wrestle with the very difficult concepts that Scripture sometimes gives to us. And one of those difficult concepts that's wrapped up in the Scripture is that our primary allegiance isn't to mom or to dad, but to Jesus. One of those difficult passages that's wrapped up in the Scriptures is that our Family unit extends beyond those to whom we are blood-related. Our family unit extends to those through whom we are related through Christ's blood. But at the same time, 
we are never entitled to neglect our earthly biological family. It's these tensions that we hold in, well, it's, it's a tension that we hold. It's truths that we hold in tension with one another. Now, this is a difficult concept, especially in the South. It's in the South where on more than one occasion, one in particular with someone who was not a part of our church, I sat down to try and have some, some, in, some, some work with, with a marriage unit, and I'll never forget this man looking at me and saying, well, she's just my wife, but that's my mama. As you can imagine, they were having some significant marital troubles. Unfortunately, for many of you in this church body, you understand the tension because the family is so, I'm going to use a harsh word, idolized that it can sometimes be seen or expected to trump everything else. Now, let me begin by saying I love my mama before y'all accuse me of anything else. I saw her yesterday. I saw her Friday. I've seen her twice this weekend. I even like cuddled up against her and got a hug and told her Happy Mother's Day. I bought her a, I bought her a gift. What I mean is Angela picked out a gift and ordered it online and had it embroidered and we gave it to her. I even love my mother-in-law. Okay? But it's, I mean, I love her a lot too. I didn't say that to be ugly. I have a great mother-in-law. But it's important that we wrestle through these passages of Scripture, even as we appreciate all of the women in our life. But before we get to the hard stuff, men, hopefully by now you've bought a Mother's Day gift for your wife. If you haven't, you need to hurry. But let me give you some suggestions. As a veteran of these difficult struggles... Many man has, has felt that extreme frigid temperature for a long time because of a poor gift choice. Seven things not to buy. Don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity can be seen as utilitarian. Don't buy clothing that involves sizes. We'll leave that alone. Avoid all useful things. Now, I want you to know this isn't true for my wife. She asked for a vacuum cleaner one time, and she meant it. I bought it with fear and trepidation, but she was excited to receive it. Don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. I'm bothered that I have to remind you of that. Don't buy her the treadmill. Do not. Just because you think she'll like it, don't you do it. Don't buy jewelry. Why? Because what she really wants, she can't afford. And what you think she needs, she doesn't want. Men, trust me. Trust me. Best thing you can do if you think you want to buy her jewelry, just make a down payment on it to her account every year for the next seven years. And seven years from now, she can go buy the jewelry she really wanted, okay? Just hand her the cash and say, baby, put it somewhere safe. Finally, don't spend too much. It's a dif difficult balance. I've heard some of you, you go in, they go, this is all you did? The struggle is, oh, well, how are we going to afford that? It's difficult for us to appreciate the women in our life sometimes. Okay? And it's difficult not because they're difficult. It's difficult because we all think differently. Just acknowledge that. None of this is to say that women are bad and men are good or women are evil and men aren't or women are difficult to understand even though we all know it's true. 
The difficult to understand part, not the other stuff. But they're only difficult to understand because they're women and we're men. You understand? The women who are sitting beside us are going, you think that you're so easy to buy a gift for? We're not. I don't know where Ginger's sitting in here. Ginger, of course, our ministry assistant, does wonderful things. And she looks, I said to her the other day, I said, I, said, I almost said honey right here like I'm talking about Angela. That would have been really awkward. I did not say that. Though we did have a secretary here one time that I was hanging up the phone. I said, okay, I love you. And it was over. I couldn't, there was no recovery. It was, it was over. But I said, Ginger, we need some ink pens. These ink pens we have are terrible. They're driving me nuts. Y'all make fun of the way I write with them anyway. We need some pens. She said, what do you want? I said, I don't care. Just order us some decent ink pens. She looked at me. She said, we're going to do this right now. I said, I don't care. She said, you do care. She said, your opinion is one of your strongest spiritual gifts. (laughs) What about this one? I said, I told you, just pick it out and ship it. What about this one? I said, no, I don't like that one. She said, exactly. (laughs) And so we picked out one, and we ordered them, and they were terrible. But you know what she was able to do? She was able to say, you're the one who ordered those. (laughs) Buying gifts can be a challenge, okay? It's not because we don't love the people around us. It's because it's difficult to climb inside the mind of another. And when we come to this passage of Scripture where Jesus looks around and says, who is my mama anyway? If we're not careful, we can read that at face value and not climb into the mind, into the ministry setting, into the current cultural climate into which Jesus was living and speaking. If we're not careful, we can take this passage of Scripture and we can go a couple of different ways. We can say, I don't need to worry about my mama anyway because I got the church. Of course, the other side where a lot of people land is, I'm going to go to church, but I have my family over here. So my question to you this morning is, do you view your church as a family or as a location? Do you view your church as a family to which you belong or as a place where you go? A lot of you are going to go to mama's house today for lunch. But when you get over to mama's house, you don't assume that that house is your mother. You're going there to see the woman with whom you have a relationship. But a lot of you speak about the church as if it was just a building. And you show up and you pay your time and you leave every week. But your real relationships belong to those who are outside this place. Well, the Bible gives us a completely different picture. First thing this morning I want us to see as we consider what it means to view the church as a family, is that the mission mattered to Jesus. Now, we've been in the book of Mark for quite some time. Um, We're finishing chapter 3. And and remember, one of the reasons I've been excited about preaching through Mark is because Mark helps us to do, as it's called, discipleship in the very real world. In the book of Mark, we see Jesus living this incredibly busy life, even wrestling through the difficult, complex situation of family relationships, and in so doing, still adhering to the mission of God. And in this passage of Scripture, we have Jesus on a collision course with his family. For some of you, this seems incredibly foreign. But I'm going to tell you, there's a number of folks within this church body, in this building, in this room, right here today, for whom there is regular tension and conflict between their relationship with their church family and their relationship with their nuclear family. 
We need to figure out how in the world, in the real world, we wrestle through these challenges. And Jesus gives the picture. The first thing Jesus does is Jesus stayed focused on the mission. The mission mattered to Jesus. Notice that Jesus' family is looking for him, but he had to handle business first. Y'all, there are times in your life when doing the things that God has called you to do is going to necessarily mean putting your family on the back burner. This is going to be true for mothers. This is going to be true for fathers. This is going to be true for sons. And this is going to be true for daughters. I have missed a number of family holiday gatherings because I needed to be committed to the mission that God had called me to. Now, my situation is unique compared to many of yours, but the reality is that once I've identified what it is that God has called me to, my focus needs to be first and foremost on the mission. The mission, the mission mattered to Jesus. Jesus' family's looking for him. They send word in, Jesus, we're out here. Now, remember, just about uh, 10 verses ago, they said, Jesus, you're out of your mind and we're a little concerned for you. It would be appropriate for us to probably read verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 20, all the way through verse 34 as sort of relating to one event. Okay, this might not have been within five minutes of one another, but it might have been. It might be that all this kind of takes place in about the same time. They're all sort of working all these things in. They come, they see Jesus, they're going, hey, Jesus, you're crazy. Let us help you, brother, son, let's take you. Jesus goes on inside. You can imagine them standing outside saying, Jesus, come with us. Jesus, don't mess with us. Come with us. We need to get you home and get you some help. And Jesus says, guys, I appreciate it, but I got something to do right now. As he walks right past them, his disciples follow him into the house. The people gather around. Jesus is teaching. He's just handled business with the scribes who were there saying he casts out demons by Beelzebub. Jesus is being opposed by his own family. He's being opposed by the religious leaders. And Jesus' mom and his brothers are outside, and they send word in. Could you tell him? He won't listen to us. Maybe you can get him to listen. That's what's going on right here. Any of you ever had your mama call your friend and your friend call you and say, I need you to do something because I'm tired of listening to your mama? Don't lie. We've all been there. Some of you have received that phone call. Hey, can you talk to her because she won't listen to me? That's what's happened in here. And Jesus gets this message through the crowd. So it's, hey, can you tell him they're outside? Hey, hey. Jesus' mom's outside. She needs to see him. Hey, 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 John, Mary's out here, wants to talk to Jesus. John says, Jesus, your mom's here. Awkward. We thought you were the son of God and your mom's outside lecturing you. You understand that if Jesus had in that moment immediately capitulated to his mom, the mission would have been completely compromised. How can he be the Messiah and at the same time be the man who is subservient to every single whim of his mother? Jesus focused on the mission. It doesn't mean he doesn't love his mama, but he's focused first and foremost on the mission that God has called him to. All right? So, um, uh, listen, family's a great support structure, but it's important for us to remember that family is not the end-all, be-all. Family is a gift from God, but it is not an idol to be worshipped. And Jesus was, Jesus was focused first and foremost on the mission of God, not on any earthly relationships or things. Right here is where I am 
first. Listen, when you consider how you'll serve the Lord, just answer me this. Do you first ask what God's mission is? Or do you first consider how it will affect your earthly relationships? That doesn't mean that our earthly relationships shouldn't have some bearing in the decisions that we make. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the first question we ask should not be, what's my mama going to think? What's my daddy going to think? How's, how's my brother going to feel about this? The first question for us to wrestle through was, Lord God, what would you have me to do? But before we even ask the question, what would you have me to do? What's the first question we need to ask? God, who would you have me to be? He's a lot more interested in developing you into the person you should be than he is in telling you about all the things you should do. See, the Bible's pretty clear. If once God gets us into the person we're supposed to be, the things we're supposed to do are going to follow shortly thereafter. That's the reason that when God talks, or, or when, when Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit, when the Lord gives us that in Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think I missed one. Without these, there's, 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 or against these things, there's no law. What are those things? They're not things you do. They're things that you are. God is interested in developing you into a particular kind of character so that you'll be usable in His presence. Once He's got His hooks into you and He's working, do we wrestle with the question, Lord, who would you have me to be and what would you have me to do? How can I serve you, Lord? Where can I serve you? The mission mattered to Jesus and the mission should matter to you. The second thing that we see this morning about viewing our church family, church as a family instead of a location. You say, well, first of all, let's back up. You say, how in the world does that have anything to do with viewing the church as a family? As a church body, we should be unified around one mission. Okay? At Malvern Hill, we exist to love God, love others, and change the world. That's what we're about. Okay? And when it comes down to it, if we're not unified around that mission of honoring the Lord Jesus Christ by loving God, loving others, and changing the world, if we're not unified around that purpose... We're not unified around the mission that God has given to his children, then there will be no unity. You understand? We've got to be unified around that. So the mission mattered to Jesus. The second thing we see this morning is the family mattered to Jesus. You're going, oh, this is why we showed up for Mother's Day. So here it comes. This is the mother's part, all right? Moms, I'm not, I'm not against you. The family mattered to Jesus. Even as we considered that the mission should come first, we must remember that the family mattered to Jesus. Now, Jesus' words can seem pretty strong. Now, how many of you moms would, would acknowledge that if, if your son said this on Mother's Day to the people gathered around, you would be in a corner crying somewhere? This, these are kind of harsh. Jesus, your mom's out there, and Jesus says, Who is my mother and my brother's? He who does the will of God is my brother and my brother and my sister. There's a whole lot of moms that are going, uh, 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 uh. Listen, we got, we got to understand that the family matter. These words can seem kind of harsh, but Jesus didn't disown his family. This wasn't Jesus saying, my mom doesn't exist. This was Jesus extending his family. If you know a little bit about children, you've had one, you go, man, how in the world could I ever love anything as much as I love this child? I'll never forget why it was born. My dad told me, he said, when you lay eyes on him, you're not going to believe that it's possible to love something as much as you love that child. And it was true. Listen, he came into the world at 8 pounds, 13 ounces, and I was like, whoa, look at that big old youngin, number one. Number two, I can't believe I love something this much. I just couldn't believe that I could love 
anything or anyone that much. Immediately. It wasn't necessarily that I love him more than I love my wife. It's just that there's this immediate love. It's just, boom, it's right there. And you're convinced that you could never love anything as much as you love that child. And I'll never forget the struggle I had when Angela was pregnant with Aubrey because I was concerned. I was concerned that there was no way I'd be able to love her as much as I loved Wyatt. How in the world can I do that until she got here? And what you discover after the first child, what you discover is that your love doesn't cut in half. Your love just multiplies over and over and over again. When Jesus redefines the family, Jesus doesn't say that your earthly family doesn't exist. What Jesus does is he just brings more people into the fold. The process of adoption, of spiritual adoption, you're adopted into a larger extended family. And that family begins to matter and it begins to matter more and more. Jesus didn't disown his family. And we know that. Now, some people can take this passage and go, the mission matters, don't worry about your mama, you need to get busy about the kingdom of God. There's a major problem with that. major problem is that Jesus didn't stop caring about his mama. Jesus didn't stop taking care of her. If you want to, you can turn with me to John chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Now, Jesus didn't allow his love for his mother to keep him from fulfilling the purpose for which God had sent him into the world. But they're hanging on the cross in John chapter 19, um, beginning in verse 26. I am in... Nope, we're right. Jesus says, or the Bible says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, why was it necessary for John to take Mary in? I'm not 100% sure. But potentially what we got going right here is that when Mary decided to hitch her wagon to Jesus' ministry, the rest of the family said, You know what? I can't. Be supportive of what you're doing. You'll remember that Jesus' brothers did not follow him until after his death. One of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, uh, proofs for the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus' brothers followed him after his death, death and burial. The fact that James and Jude, who had nothing to do with him in his adult life, who rejected his ministry, the fact that after his death they began to worship him as a risen Savior and Lord is one of the greatest proofs we have that Jesus was who he claimed to be. All right? So maybe here as Jesus is hanging on the cross, his brothers have looked at Mary and said, you're going to get yourself killed too. We've tried to talk sense into you. You won't listen. You are on your own. That's your son who's put himself on that cross. He's the oldest. He's the one who's supposed to be taking care of you. So since that's where you want to hit your wagon, you live by it and you die by it and we're done. So perhaps Mary's standing there all alone. Jesus is hanging on the cross and Jesus looks down and he sees his mother. In that place, Jesus doesn't say, oh, I've already disowned you. We're done. I had my mother and my brothers and my sisters. No, Jesus says, Woman, here's your son. You're a part of my extended family. You're my biological family, but we're going to bring the extended family into you. Church family, a big part of what we do is that we come alongside to complement and add to the biological family. Okay? Mary was taken care of even at Jesus' death. Jesus also reprimanded the Pharisees who neglected their responsibility to their parents. Um, Turn to Mark chapter 7, verse 19. Verse 9, I'm sorry. 
And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by tradition that you've handed down and many such things you do. What does that mean? That means we don't get to say, Mom, I've committed myself to Jesus so I'm not worried. I, I don't have any responsibilities to you anymore. Well, God's called me to this, so you just need to get out of the way. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Don't miss this. We tend to read the Bible as though the Pharisees were these evil people that are running around. The Pharisees were the most respected people in their communities because they followed the letter of the law. And what the Pharisees did is they rolled up in the house. They went to eat lunch with mom. And they said, Mom, you're getting kind of old. Well, you know, I, I recognize that you might need me later, but I've actually decided that I'm going to commit all of my life and my money to God, so I, I can't help you out anymore. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, they're hypocrites. Because guess what? If we have not loved our earthly family, we've not fulfilled the law of God. Right? Right? Paul also warned in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4 and 8, 4 through 8, that those who don't provide for their relatives and for members of their own household have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and read it while you turn. But you can mark it if you don't believe it exists. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone and has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul says that for those of you who would argue that you're being somehow more godly by neglecting your family to focus only on the mission, that you've denied the faith. Listen to me. Do you have an aging parent who can't care for themselves? It is your responsibility. Right here. It's your responsibility. That doesn't mean you've got to be there at every beck and call. Don't you allow them to guilt you into things that don't exist in here. But it is your responsibility to see to it they're taken care of. Just as it will be mine with my own parents and with my mother-in-law. It was Angela and my responsibility to see to it that her dad was taken care of when his life was running out. Now here's another thing. If you are able to care for your parents, you don't get to burden the church with that responsibility. If you're able to care for your parents, you don't send them to the church to get their groceries. You take care of it. It's your responsibility. That doesn't mean that the church doesn't come alongside. But what Paul is saying right here is you don't get to neglect it and go, I'm just doing God's will today. This means that when your mom and your grandma is in the nursing home, you take your rear end over there and you see her. And I don't care how uncomfortable it makes you feel. The Bible says you're worse than an unbeliever. I don't want to remember her that way. 
She didn't want to remember you with dirty diapers, but she changed them anyway. She's still a child of God. I don't want to expose my children to that. Are you kidding me? Seriously? The Bible says you have a spiritual responsibility. That spiritual responsibility doesn't trump the mission of God. But can I just tell you that it is a rare situation where the two come into conflict with one another. When they come into conflict, you've got to make a decision and you've got to pursue God's mission. But it is a rare situation where the two come into conflict. And the prevailing wisdom of how it is you're supposed to take care of your parents is not necessarily biblical. What that looks like may vary. That doesn't mean you got to go see her every day. It doesn't. It just means you need to make sure that she is taken care of. It's a spiritual responsibility. You don't have to like it, but it, there it is. Side note, those of you who are young enough to still have children at home, remember, they're going to pick out your nursing home one day. Keep that in mind. And remember this, they're going to treat you the way they see you treat your parents. They're going to treat you the way that they see you treat your parents. Y'all, family mattered to Jesus. The mission came first, but the family mattered. Now, for some of you, this is so hard. Because for some of you, I'm sitting here and you're going, I don't understand how to work this out, Craig. My dad won't speak to me. You know, my mom walked away. I mean, I've, I've got friends whose moms gave them up at birth. And they wrestle with what does it look like to know that that person still exists and to try to honor that person. Y'all, it's hard. This doesn't mean that for that parent who hates your guts or appears to hate your guts that you somehow got to make everything happen. You, you, you can only do what you can do. You can only do what you can do. But what you can do, you still should seek to do. Well, it's so hard, you don't understand. Y'all, I don't claim to understand. Hear me say that. I don't stand up here and claim to understand. I'm the outlier. I have great parents and a great extended family who 99% of the time understands the demands and expectations that are placed on my life and on my family's life as a result of the ministry in which we are a part So I don't claim to understand. I only claim to speak to you the Word of God. You don't get to look at me and say, you don't understand my situation. No, you have to wrestle with the Word of God. It doesn't matter what, you under, what Craig Thompson understands. It only matters what God's Word says. We have to find a way to honor our father and our mother. And the Bible says that we have a, a responsibility as Christians to care for them. Why would he say you're worse than an unbeliever? Because Paul wants us to understand that even those who don't know Jesus have a natural inclination to care for those who nurtured them and raised them. And heaven forbid we as those who have known the love of Christ would somehow forsake God's command to love others by forsaking our family. So the mission mattered to Jesus, family mattered to Jesus, and finally this morning the church mattered to Jesus. The church mattered to Jesus. When he was confronted with the reality that his family members were outside, Jesus recalibrated the conventional understanding of the family. When he was confronted with the reality that his family members were outside, Jesus recalibrated 
the understanding of the family. Who is my family, Jesus said. He motioned to those in the room and he said, He who does the will of God is my mother and sister and brother. This very early iteration of the church shows us how the church should relate to one another. Church done right and biblically is not a place you go. It is a group of people to whom you belong. I am of the absolute firm conviction that the church of Jesus Christ should be more reliable than your biological family, period. Your biological family may have the excuse that they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a result, they don't understand what their responsibilities are, don't understand exactly how it is they should love you. But the church of Jesus Christ, who has been exposed to His saving power and the Word that teaches and enriches and encourages us, does not have the privilege of walking away when the world falls apart. When the whole world runs out, it is the church that should run in. The church is a group of people to whom you belong. It is appropriate that we speak of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, for we have been united in His blood. One of my goals as your pastor is to regularly create a culture here. And it doesn't happen just through me. I got to walk into a place where the culture in large part already existed. Where we see one another not just as a loose collection of of, of social friends, but as a family intimately connected and related and dependent upon one another. Here's an odd reality. Are you ready for this? If we are doing church the way that Jesus would have us to do church, people are going to question our loyalty, loyalty and devotion to and our love of our church family. I'll say that again. If we are doing church the way we are supposed to, people are going to question why in the world we are so loyal and devoted to those people. And the people who are most likely to question it are the people who are most closely related to you and live in the closest proximity to you. What do we do when our family says, why do you, why do you care about all those people? We use it as an opportunity to speak of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God saved me And He loved me, and He has united us in Christ. Y'all, if we're doing church the right way, and I'm hesitant to say this because it's going to be recorded, but if we're doing church the right way, somebody's going to ask us if we're part of a cult. Now, we don't drink special Kool-Aid here, for those of you listening at home. Why would they ask that? Because if we're doing it the right way, we are just so interconnected that we're kind of all over the place and and we just can't get past enjoying one another's presence. We just can't. That's what we're called to be. Called out and a little bit crazy. Folks, family members will often challenge those close relationships you develop within your church. But to Jesus, the church was not a replacement for his family, only an extension. Listen to me. Why why will some of your family members challenge the relationships you have with your church family? Because they are threatened by the relationships you have with your church family. 
What do we need to work to do? We need to work to, to soften that threat because our goal is not to create a division between my church family and my, my biological family. My goal is to see those who are far from Jesus brought near to Him. And that includes those who are most closely related to me. How am I going to do that? By trying to bridge that gap. You might find that when you invite your, your, your brother or your cousin who doesn't understand the church to your kid's birthday party, and everybody's just having a good time, and they're not quite as weird as they thought they were, you might find that some of those walls begin to break down. You might. You might find that when you invite your, your, your sister or your father or your mother to see your kid perform in a, a, a musical or, or, or to get baptized, they might show up and go, you know, that place isn't quite as crazy as I thought it was. They might discover that the church is full of hypocrites only in as much as we are all messed up and recognize that we're in need of a Savior and that maybe they're not quite as different as they think they are. Don't be surprised when your family struggles with your relationship with the church. Jesus' family did. And we are no better than He. Jesus didn't have his brothers in the church, that is, those, those brothers and sisters in Christ. He didn't have his church family to the exclusion of his biological family. Jesus had all those brothers and then some. So too your church family is an extension of your biological family. And sometimes it becomes an even more loving expression of real family. Your church is the people who run in when the whole world has run out. Your church family is the group of people who picks up the pieces when the whole world falls apart. And if we fail to do that, then we have failed as the church of Jesus Christ. Say, Craig, that's kind of a heavy sermon on Mother's Day. Maybe. But maybe it serves as a wonderful reminder to all of us. We have a responsibility to honor our mothers as God's children. But also serves as a reminder to all of us that we all have the responsibility and the privilege to be spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. To the collected, called out gathering of God's people right here in Camden, South Carolina. That God has been gracious enough not just to give us birth mothers but to give us a multitude of women who care enough about us to invest deeply in us and in our children and our spouses. God's creating a family. Your biological family is not excluded. We pray that they will one day be fully included as a part of this. So who are our mothers? Ladies, all of you have the opportunity to be mothers and sisters and daughters. To all those who are gathered in this place. We celebrate mothers today, but more than that, we celebrate Jesus. Who through his shed blood on the cross, unites us all in one purpose and one mission. And brings us together as one church, one family united for one ultimate purpose. To bring glory to Him and expand His kingdom. 
through gospel-centered work and the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know that Savior, Kevin's going to come and lead us and as he leads us this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, would you come forward and let me introduce you to him today? He's changed my life and he'll change yours. We saw testimony of two men's lives who have been changed, two entire families who have been changed by the gospel. Maybe you say, you know what, Craig, I showed up here convinced that churches are just full of hypocrites. I didn't want to be here, but it's Mother's Day. And so, you know what, I drug myself here to make my mama happy. But I understand today for the first time that the church is a place that God's created for His children to come together and worship and serve and glorify Him. And Craig, I want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. I'd love to talk with you about that. How we can take those next steps toward membership here. Perhaps you'd like to come pray today. Maybe some of you need to come today and pray for your family. For some of you, this church creates division. Your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ has created division between you and your biological family. And today you need to come and pray. And maybe your prayer doesn't just need to be, Lord God, I'm so tired of them and they're driving me crazy. Maybe your prayer needs to be, Lord God, would you save them? Y'all, on this Mother's Day, let's, let's get past the idea that my mama, that your mama, that anybody's mama is going to heaven just because they raised you. That anybody's daddy is going to heaven just because they raised you. It's possible that there's division and friction within your family because those family members don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And today you can come and you can lay that burden down before the Lord. Say, Lord God, save them. Change them. He's an amazing God who works in response to the prayers of His people through the power of his word. As we sing, would you come today? Lord God in heaven, we praise you that you are a God who continues to save. And Lord God, through that salvation, you've called out your people. You've made us who weren't a people into a people so that the people who look upon us would give glory and praise to the God who could bring together such a crazy, odd collection of folks and make them into one cohesive, loving unit. God, we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning, and as the Lord leads, would you come?